Well, good morning, you guys. Thank you for putting up with us a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> so funny. I was telling Dave, you know, we talk about some of this beforehand. Like, here, we're going to do this, and here's the transition, and then we just blow it all apart in seconds. <laughs> It was such a it's such a great uh, illustration too because you think uh, and we want to we want to you know uh, may, maybe create some atmosphere we want to do certain things but I love that God is not dependent upon that for Him to show up and to be with us but there is still something that that struggle that human struggle of like great the service is just messed up now it's so it's we just ruined it <laughs> so fantastic I needed that today. <laughs> And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, this series is like that. We started last week and said our soul longs for something. We have a desire for God. Maybe you're even, your soul longs for something, but you don't know what that is right now. Like maybe it's, it's uh, not God and, and you long for something though. And so I presented even last week that we all have this longing for something, whatever that is. And I hope that you kind of lean in a little more and, and uh, if you're on a search of discovery for that or whatever you come in with, man, I just encourage you to keep doing that. Um, I trust that God is bigger than us, that we don't have to try to convince you of something, guilt you into something, that you can experience something for yourself. And that's what our desire is. Um, but we've been talking about kind of this whole idea of soul and longing, and what we're saying is we kind of presented last week, and we'll tackle it each week a little bit more. There's a lot behind it that we cannot present in a, in a setting like this. It would just take too long, but we will continue to talk about these things. We said these unforced rhythms of grace, these spiritual disciplines that will help us, especially when we look at identity, who God is, then our identity in Christ, and then purpose, what he's done for us, what he's continuing to do, and then what we do from that. Now, there are spiritual disciplines that help us with that. There are things that will reinforce that, refresh us, reinvigorate us, and will remind us of who he is, who we are in him, and then his purpose and our purpose in that. And that's what we want to do. We want to keep talking about those things. And today, we want to talk a little bit about giving some space, slowing down. This is really good for me. And, uh, and then mainly connected with silence and solitude, one of the things that we um, at times. Uh, there is a woman named Letty Kalman. She wrote, some of you probably have read this. It's been updated many times, kind of put into some more modern language many times. She wrote Streams in the Desert, uh, this great devotional that's been around since 1939. And she's written many other books. Uh, so she tells the story of this Englishman, uh, this explorer that went out, and he, he goes to Africa. He takes all of his gear, like all of his books. He takes all of these fine wines and food, a tent, I mean, all these luxuries. And he begins on this trek. He's going to go look at Africa, and he starts off. He's got so much stuff that he's got to hire a whole bunch of the locals to carry all the stuff uh, for him. And uh, he, he starts out with his uh, team, and they go on this rapid pace. So they start off, and they, just, they are just trucking through the jungle and, and checking everything out. And that first night, they settle down. They set up the tent. He gets all his stuff out. He's chilling. He's hanging out, reading some books, writing some notes, drinking some wine, having some cheese, probably, whatever they're, whatever they're doing. And he's just, like, reflecting on it. Man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to get way further, see way more than I thought. Um, if we keep at this pace, and he's just like, this is going to be awesome. And uh, he uh, is excited about that. He gets up on the second morning, 
And uh, the hired uh, locals, these Africans, they uh, refuse to move. And uh, there is no cursing, no bribery, no pleading that could get him going. And then uh, he, he experiences this little moment when uh, they ask, what's going on? Why can't we get you to, to hustle? We got a lot to see, a lot to do, a lot to experience. We need to keep up this pace. And it says that finally, one of the young men explained that they were not especially tired. So it wasn't about being tired. Rather, they had gone too far, too fast on the first day, and they had to wait. And here's the, the line that he used, wait for their souls to catch up with their bodies. And then uh, Letty reflects on that. Now, re remember, this is from the 30s. She says, the whirling, rushing life which so many of us live live does for us what the first march did for those poor tribesmen. But here is the difference. They knew what they needed to do to restore life's balance. Too often, she says, we do not. And so we want to talk a little bit today, and we want to, in all of these rhythms, we want to use the life of Jesus. So these are not things that we're creating. There's tons of things that you can do that are actually quite restorative to your soul, to your heart, to your strength, to your mind that are done out in the world today. There's plenty of books you can buy, podcasts you can listen to, apps that you can download to help you with this. Um, but we're going to look at some things that Jesus implemented and did and in turn then set the example for us to implement and do to be restored, especially when it concerns the soul, because one of the things that we see happening in life is that the soul can be disintegrated very quickly. And so people, they're searching. We presented this last week. A lot of that has to do with this week and as we move forward. They're searching for identity and purpose and long for connection. But if the soul is depleted, then we lose a lot of that. So this is kind of the foundational thing that will keep us going forward with the rest. We must, and I'm only learning this, we must take care of our soul. Remember it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength, the center of your being, this, this depth of who you really are and where all this identity and purpose comes from. Now this is something that Jesus spoke of. Look at what he says in Mark this is the scriptures on the screen if you want to look at it in your Bibles or apps or whatever. Uh, go ahead. But it says, then calling to the crowd, uh, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, now he's saying it to this crowd of people, maybe, you know, way more than this today possibly, but he says to his disciples and to the crowd, so this is to everybody, he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, he lays out what it looks like right out of the gate. He's not... He's not saying, you know, uh, trying to make it sound a little better for people to join, and then he'll hit them with the hard stuff later on. Um, he's not, you know, uh, he's not doing something to try to guilt them in. He's just laying it right out there. He says, if you want to be my follower, you must, one, give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. That's a lot right there. We won't get into that today, but he says, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, he says, you will lose it. And this is what we're talking about. So often we're trying to hang on to our life when reality is once we do that for ourselves, we start losing those very parts of our life. And you can evaluate that for yourself. Who, whoever wants to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, and then he told you earlier what that looks like. It's not just parts. We said last week we start compartmentalizing. 
if we don't look at it as the whole, when he says life, it's all of our life, right? Every bit, good, bad, and ugly, and all the parts, mind, soul, strength, everything we're doing. This is what he's talking about. And he says, if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, the gospel, what Jesus has done, what he wants to do, what, what he has possible for a transformed life, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? So now he goes back to if you're going to hold on to it. What if you gain the whole world but lose your own what? Soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? It's a rhetorical question. No, there isn't, he, Jesus says. This is important. Jesus establishes right out of the gate. What we are going to do from this point on and talk about is very important. We cannot take it lightly. We cannot turn it into a list of things that will appease God and he'll like me more. Done that in the past. You know, he loves you, period. And as followers of him, here's the things we do to reinforce the very things we know about him or are learning about him and what he says about us and what we're to do. And that starts in the soul, this longing and desire we have. And Jesus points out this is very important. Now, we talked about this a little more last week. This is like our theme scripture in Matthew. From the NLT, it says, come to me, this is 28 and 30, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my yoke. We want to be yoked to him like two oxen. He sets the pace. He shows us what to do. We learn from him. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, he says. So you're going to get it from me. You're going to learn it from me. You're going to walk with me. We're going to get this rest for your souls together. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now, I want to read it from the message because Jesus has now given us an invitation to really start slowing down, keep pace with him because we often try to go way ahead of him and get going and to take on his yoke, get that real rest. It's for our souls. So it's an invitation to know him, know ourselves, and have purpose in life. From the message, I loved how it said it in the message, how he translated it, put it together. Eugene Peterson, are you worn out, burned out on religion? There's a part that a lot of you might connect with. Come to me, he says. Get away with me. Keep that in mind. This is one of the things we'll talk about today. And you'll recover your life. Because we start losing our real life in him if we don't, Come with him, learn from him, be with him. These very things we're, we're gonna talk about doing. I'll show you, I love that, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Not just get a good night's sleep. When's the last time you got a good night's sleep? None of us, all right? It was like 40 years ago, right, when you were a baby. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced. We talked about that rhythms of grace. We talked about that last week. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. There's this rest for your souls. So he says, come be with me, follow me, apprentice with me, live with me, learn from me. And in that, we're going to form what we believe about God, what he's like, our identity, as I've told you many times, we'll keep repeating this, who he is, who we are him, our purpose, what he does, and how we are to live. So what we want to do is, today, about silent solitude, is we want to cultivate, we said. For a lot of us, it's like stirring up hardened ground, scripture that talks about that. We're kind of plowing this ground that's gotten hard, 
where we forget who we are, who he is, and what we're to do from that. We're kind of churning that up, and we are going to cultivate some core practices, disciplines to rearrange, reorient, recharge us, and many more. So this is kind of the discipline. There's a lot behind this of slowing, a lot more to it as well. Staying in pace with Jesus, giving space for God to speak and for me to listen. Now, I've told you a couple of people that I follow in this, and I can recommend some good books to you that some of them I've only cracked open, so they're just kind of beginning. But John Ortberg and Dallas Willard became very good friends. Dallas Willard passed away a while back. John Ortberg uh, is still alive and preaching. John became very close to him and gained all this amazing wisdom from Dallas Willard, especially on the spiritual disciplines and all that. Very wonderful stuff. And uh, there's many, many uh, interviews and conversations you can look at and find. Since he called him one day, he wants to glean a little more. This dude is just gleaning off of him, learning off of him. And Orberg calls Dallas Willard. And Dallas, if you've ever seen him, he's very, he's like, he's not in a rush. He has those long pauses where you don't know, like, is he done or, right? And so John asks him, uh, like, what do I do, like, to, to, you know, grow in my spiritual life? What, what uh, do I need to stir up? What, do, what needs to happen? And uh, Ortberg, you know, he's ready with his, his uh, pad and paper, his journal. He's got his pen out. He's ready to write it down. This is going to be powerful, man. This is going to, oh, man. Whatever he says next, the list that he gives me, I'm going to nail this. This is what I do. This is, this is what I need to do. And, uh, and um, Dallas Willard says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And he pauses. And Ortberg's sitting there going, okay, okay, all right. And he's, Ortberg's a little impatient. He's impatient uh, because he goes, um, that's great. Okay, this is a long-distance call, uh, and I need to know everything. So, and um, I don't, that's fine. But I want the, big, the, the better list, the bigger stuff. And uh, long pause. And uh, he says, what else is there? And there's this awkward silence, especially over the phone. You don't know, did you, are you still there? <laughs> you ever done that? And then he says, Willard says, there's nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry destroys the soul. For most of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. And he wraps up and says, we will just skim over our lives instead of actually living them. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Wow, I have read that a zillion times, it feels like, and I still struggle with it. I don't know if you, uh, this was new for me, you know, 2007 uh, was a big year in technology. Uh, how many people have a smartphone in here right now and it's out? Hold it up, please. No, hold, just be honest. Don't stick it back down in your pocket. Don't put it, I wasn't looking at it, I swear. I see some of the lights going on. Yeah, thanks. All right, good. 
I don't want to get too deep in this, Michael, uh, I think it's uh, Thomas Friedman. I just wrote a new book, and there's a chapter in there all about 2007. And uh, what you hold in your hand, especially if it's an iPhone, that's when it was 10 years ago. That's when it came out. And he will go on and talk about 2007 was everything like around that time, before, uh, the year before and after in there, Twitter, right? Facebook, they, they came out with their first, e- like everybody who had an email now could do Facebook. And all this stuff. Now 10 years, what took massive amounts of years, 40, 50, 60, 100 years, now suddenly within 10 years, think about where we're at today. Think about what we can do today. And think about if what Willard says is true, how much in a hurry and distracted we are today. Myself included. I find myself multitasking. Uh, Some of you, I've passed you in my truck and you've cursed me. (laughs) Always thinking about what else do we have to do and some of you, you're consumed with counting how many items somebody has in the grocery cart in the fast lane at the, at the market. <laughs> and you're ticked, right? They have, they have eight items. You should not be in this line, all right? <laughs> what it does in us, what I'm reading and learning is an, ability, in, an inability to love properly We start being superficial, cluttered. We speed everything up because we're drawn to hurry. We get drawn to hurry um, because it seems like, um, it seems like uh, it makes us feel important. And so busy becomes a badge that we wear. um, And then one of the things that, thought out that I thought was really good. I don't know that I thought about this, but hurry can help me um, from feeling real emotion, like loneliness. Keeps me from looking too closely at my own heart and then hearing this very soul that's messed up speak. So I want to fill it. I do it. I, I want to fill it with things so I don't have to feel that. So then it robs me of being in the now And then this disintegration, as we talked about earlier, of the soul happens. Where Jesus said, right, if you go after all that, you're going to lose your very soul. That's not what I want you to do. I want to give you real rest in it. And then he he gives us, here's what I want you to do to get help that way. So one of the things that we want to learn to do in the spiritual disciplines is we turn from something, but then we turn to something else. In our, you know, the biggest thing, that's Christ. But then what did Christ do to help with that as well, right? He understands our humanity, so he must have understood this even 2,000 years ago. Different, but the same. We turn from something to something else. So we can't just turn from something and then turn to nothing. We don't have anything then with it. It doesn't, we're not getting any help that way. We need to turn from something to something else. So from hurry What we're saying today to propose to you is to turn to silent solitude and creating space for God. And this will cause me to be, when I do this, this time that I can take being quiet with God, not other people, just God and me, um, it'll cause me to be alert to the overstimulation and exhaustion that I've created. I 
that overstimulation is a big part. It will cause uh, me to look at my expectations, life's expectations, they're revealed about what I, ex my expectations, my agendas. Um, why does that happen? Because if we practice this principle, this discipline that Jesus did, um, I don't have anywhere to go. I have nothing to do, nothing to say, and no interaction that needs to happen. So what I'm proposing for all of us is to put ourselves in positions where we do not have to, even if it's like five minutes in the day, you can start somewhere and everybody's a little different. But if you do that, then what we're saying is, I don't have anywhere to go right now. This is where I'm at right here, just me and God. I don't have anything I have to do. There's a big problem, right? I don't have anything that I'm supposed to say. And uh, I don't have any interaction with people that needs to happen. Because often we'll fill ourselves up with that. And so what happens is it gives me a chance not to hear the other voices except God and my own. Now, my own's a problem in that, but that's what I want to focus on with God. So what we do in silent solitude and creating some space, we turn from hurry and we slow down for a moment and just be in God's presence. Now, that sounds weird, right? Like, great. What does that mean? We'll practice it in the end here in a little bit. But what I'm doing is I'm learning to experience intimacy with God. This is one of the places where my soul has a safe place to come out. Just me and God. It's a safe place for that. A place for all areas of my life to be addressed and to listen to the depths of my soul. So silence and solitude in a space can interrupt the noise of our lives to give God an opportunity to speak to our longings, our pain, our disillusionments, our worry, and our wonder of him. Our doubts, our fears. And this sets the stage for other disciplines to happen. So if I can't do this, then everything becomes, I think, a cliche when we say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, I really don't. It's just a cliche that I say because it's the right thing to say, right? It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Well, I propose that for myself and all of us that this has got to be, this is, this is part of it. Uh, so it sets the stage for that. Look at Psalm 46.10. Psalm 4610 is one of many in the Bible. Be still and what? Know that I am God. And then here's a little clip from the message that Peterson translated like, step out of the traffic, take a long love and look at me, your high God. <laughs> I like it. Stay, step out of the traffic, all the noise, all the congestion, all the junk going on, and take a long look at me, he says. Yeah. It's fantastic. So Jesus invites us. He's the example for this. Jesus, somebody said, is more concerned with the sustainment of the spiritual life than the distraction of our outward success. I'm not, but he is. <laughs> we still may be busy. There's a big difference between busy and hurried. We won't get into that now, but we should never be disconnected. Jesus was, you could say, busy, he had a lot to do and a short time to do it. But he was never in a hurry. He would not become disconnected from the Father or in a hurry past people. So we go to all the stories of our wonderful Savior in the Bible where he will even pause for a moment 
Even like, I was thinking like the one, he's headed through a crowd, cranking through, you know, driving through the crowd to get to, man, the, 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 the girl, right, that was dying. And in there, he's touched by someone, reaches through, grabs a hold of his prayer shawl, and he pauses for a moment. And before he goes and does that, he stops with her. And now he does that many times in the Bible. He never, we've talked about this before, he never seems to be in a hurry like we are. He'll pause at, at moments. He'll experience it with people. He'll take time because there's always, even on the way to something, there's always something going on. God is always working. It's just that, am I gonna listen and be open and observant and join him in what he's already doing? Jesus is busy, but he's never in a hurry. And he would not become disconnected. So now he's told us earlier in the scripture that I read, come to me, if you're like this, come to me, come to me, come to me, learn from me, follow me. Now he will tell us, come away with me. So one, there's come to me, follow me. Now he says, it's almost like come away with me. Let's be together in these moments. Not necessarily doing something but being together. So come to me, we add to it, come away with me. Jesus is always engaging with people, but he often also withdrew. It seems to express a part of his humanity that we all need to remember. He had his humanity, right, in his divinity as well. Yes, he expresses to us how this is done then. He shows us, and he lived that way. This is something he did. Not just do. He did it and practiced it. Uh, there's a guy named Mike Irwin who recently wrote a book called Lead Yourself First, Inspiring Leadership Through Solitude. And he said these things. When we have solitude, and he uses all these great leaders in history, and he talks about how they took times of solitude and silence at times to, to learn these things, to increase their capacity for clarity, creativity, emotional balance, and fortifying moral courage. They're, they're actual things that if you dissect a little bit, actually connect with God as well for us. If I'm too hurried, I don't take this time, then I lose what little creativity I feel I have sometimes. I don't have clarity, especially we said concerning God, who he is, who we are in him, and then our purpose and his purpose for us. And then learning that that courage, who we are to be, how we are to act. These very things um, we can even see in the Christian life with Christ. And if we don't take this time, Jesus is teaching us we'll become depleted. We won't have our dependence upon God like we should. And Jesus also shows us that his ministry comes from this. Let me just rapid fire through some scriptures real quick. These are just some that he did. Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. He kicks off his ministry, and he goes out into the desert for 40 days. The devil comes to him in the end. He takes all the silence and solitude, works through all the stuff. He prays and he fasts. The devil comes to him. Some people, I read this multiple times. It was such a great reminder. Some people say the devil tried to come at him when he was his weakest. Like he's depleted because he's tired. He hasn't eaten. The proposal is that most likely Jesus, um, the devil came to Jesus when he was his strongest. 
He just spent all this time with the Father. He, he fasted, prayed. So the, the idea was this, that you should do this, and it's actually life-building, soul-refreshing, life-giving than it is life-taking away. Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. We'll hear this over and over again. Mark 6, 30 through 31, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. They had just experienced this big ministry experience and all that was going on. In chapter 6 of Mark, Jesus had just been rejected at his hometown. Everybody had turned on him. John the Baptist, one of his close friends and the one who baptized him, died. The disciples find great success after this tour. Jesus, after this, will walk on water and feed 5,000. And in the midst of this, we see this. They get back from their ministry tour. They told him all that they had done from the power and, and uh, authority that they were given by him. And then Jesus says, in the midst of all that, my friend died. People rejected me. There's going to be some amazing experiences. You had great success. Crowds are gathering. He says, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there was so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Have you ever found yourself in such a hurry that you didn't even eat? And then, <laughs> then there's one. You get grumpy you get confronted. I mean, it all just starts rolling, huh? In the midst of all that, from great success to great rejection, and all that had happened and was going to happen, Jesus says, we got to get away, man. We got to take a moment. We need to be reminded who the Father is, who I am in him, why we came, and what we're doing. Look at what he says. This is my favorite story in all of it. Well, let me go, actually, before we go to Mark 1, go to Mark 14, 32 through 36. Starts his ministry off with the silent solitude space, and he ends it right before the cross. They went off to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed. At this moment, he's alone with the Father. He is expressing all emotions. It's all coming out. His soul is being just so much expressed that it says like blood as tears is coming out of him, he is just in anguish and grief. And he says, as he falls to the ground, if it were possible, this awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. And then this is where he could say, think about the beauty and power in this from our Savior. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. He expresses the truth of his soul and heart. Yet, I want your will to be to be done, not mine. This is where I start getting clarity in the things that God wants me to do. When my soul has expressed the truth of it, I'm broken, I'm hurting, I feel alone. But God, I want you more than anything else. I want to do what you desire, Lord. This is where it's coming out. Jesus shows us the example many times. Mark chapter 1. This is where identity, purpose, rest, we see all this kind of come to play. Now Mark chapter 1 
has been this amazing place where he's learned who he is, what he's all about. He's on task, on purpose. He's, uh, you know, been at Peter's home, healed. Um, and it says before daybreak, he's done all this ministry. He's just begun. Before daybreak, the next morning, early in the morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. He gets up before everyone else, heads out into the hills or, you know, whatever, out of the city there. Um, and he goes to an isolated place to pray. Later on, this is what happens. When you do this, this is what will happen. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. What you will find this week even, if you go, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna practice, I'm gonna try this. So you'll sit down, you'll find a quiet place. You can't get rid of probably every little distraction unless you go hide in a closet somewhere, tell no one and just secretly go hide under the house or something. I don't know what you're gonna do, but you can find a place. You might still hear a few things going on, but right when you get there, if it is not somebody looking for you, like if you have little kids, they're gonna be like, Mom, are you in there trying to be away? Where are you? What is going on? Don't, don't take your phone in there because you will want to look at Facebook 500 times in two minutes. Don't do any. That's just what will happen. Oh, I better look real quick. Maybe this uh, really great cliche came up on Instagram, and it's from the Lord, and I need to read it because it's going to just change my soul right now in this isolated place with God. And I would say don't, don't do that. Don't take anything, just go yourself. But you will hear, if it's not the voices of others, it is the voice in your head. So one of the things that Jesus shows us, and I am horrible at this, just so you know, okay? Uh, he says, listen, right when the guy goes, everyone is looking for you, I've shared this with you before, my pride would go, really? Well, that must be the Lord. I need to go see my people, my followers. And I've shared that many times. It's still there. It still lingers in my heart. This is where the depth comes out. Like, wow, look at how prideful I am. Look at, look at what I really desire more than God. This is where God can start breaking down things in me. But a lot of times we listen to those things and we are drawn by them for various reasons. But Jesus, because... I, I propose to you, because he did what he did in the isolated place with prayer, he was able to go to the voices that were yelling to him to come do what they wanted him to do, not what the Father wanted. He says, we must go unto other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came, not to go do that, to do this. This is where purpose is reinforced. Identity is reinforced. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, casting out demons. He sticks to his purpose because of what he did in private. With no one looking. No one around. If it was a lot of us, we would have, you know, Instagrammed that thought. And we would have, like, you know, shot a few shots of me in the quiet place. <laughs> alone, and then alone with God, hashtag whatever you put on there, Right? Like, really? And now thousands of, well, however many followers you got went, oh, you know, anyways. <laughs> oh. Okay. Then look what happens. One of the greatest miracles. A man with leprosy came, knelt in front of Jesus, began begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me, make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, be healed. And the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. This was an amazing thing because rabbis, who Jesus was, was not, he was not supposed to touch the man. 
I still think that we can only do the hard things because of what I do in private. The hard things outwardly come from what's happening inwardly. There's a lot of work that God has to do in me for that to happen. Everybody was watching him. He did. Nobody, he didn't care what anybody thought. He did it, but it's what he did in the dark. What he did when no one was looking. It's a good reminder for all of us. And so he was able to do these very things because of that verse earlier. So this silence, this solitude, this aloneness with God, these spiritual disciplines, these rhythms of spiritual practices, these unforced rhythms of grace. Let me just remind you a few things, then give you a few principles before we go. One, there's a lot, lot to this as well, but they're not, so this, what I tell you today, what we will practice for a minute and what I'm encouraging you to do, they are not barometers of godliness. If you're gonna look at them and say, look at I did it this week, and I'm more godly now, then it's the wrong perspective, okay? They're not barometers of godliness, and they are not ways to compare yourself to others, Okay, I remember reading A.W. Tozer, if you know who he is, one of his books, and I read the introduction. It's only the introduction, and I'm like, Tozer's like, I am worthless. I am no good unless I spend three hours a day with God in private, in prayer, on my face before him. And I'm like, (coughs) well, I'm out. (laughs) I don't think I did three three minutes was long. They're not ways to compare yourself to others. We do that too much. They're not ways to earn favor with God. This is not extra credit. Okay? I want to say that they're not necessarily easy. I think it was John Ortberg that said, easy is a soul word, not an assignment word. So we want easy soul, Jesus said earlier, in hard assignments. An easy yoke, not necessarily an easy life. How many can attest to that? Like I thought when I did this whole follow Jesus thing that we were supposed to have an easy life, right? That's why we need these things. They're not performances, but they're practices. So we don't wanna look at them as performances. They're done best individually often and in community. So silence and solitude, obviously, I'm saying pull yourself away from everyone, but there's also things in community that we find as well, because what did Jesus do? I liked it. Even in the Gethsemane thing, he says, hey, come away with me. He does it, he does it more. And then um, they go to a certain spot. They're together. Hey, pray with me. I need you. Man, I need your backing. I need your prayers, right? And then it says he goes off, a stone throws away, and he, he goes. So it's kind of both. We need one another, we need help in it, but this one, this that lays the stage for everything else, really in a lot of ways, a lot of that's gonna be done what we do individually. So there is an element of that, just keep that in mind. Um, And I wanna encourage you, adapt it to your one personality. So we're all different people in here, right? Praise God. God is not trying to create robots or certain things. Man, we, uh, we, we adapt it, we have personalities, he's given us those personalities. We, we also adapt it to seasons of life. Sometimes what you did there is not what you gotta do here and what you're not gonna, you're not gonna need it there. It's just different. You might adapt it. The same principle, but you adapt it to different seasons and then stages of discipleship. Listen, if you are here and you're a new follower of Christ, 
Don't, don't try to tackle three hours every day. I don't know if any of you even want to try that. You may want to find longer times of solitude and silence down the road. Go, I've gone to a monastery, done something like that. But man, you can't do that all the time. And some of you are like, man, I just want to get down coming to church first, Ron. And I go, then just come to church. It's all right. They're not barometers of your godliness. They're ways to help us. So, man, we look at it kind of our stages of discipleship too. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to, what, are, what barriers, look at what barriers keep me from living God's way, so then I want to add some of these practices and disciplines and experiences and relationships that can help me overcome these barriers and bear fruit. So here's one of my instructions. Just start. <laughs> Just start. I think today I'll do one minute of silence and solitude. We're going to do it in just a minute. The silence part, we're not going to do solitude because then I'd have to go, everybody find a quiet spot alone, you know, under, crawl under your chair. No, we're not doing that, but the silence part, and uh, you're covered today, okay? <laughs> just start. All right, here's three big principles just to consider, and we'll wrap up with the song story. Communion, one of our uh, rhythms that we do every week at Journey. These are very basic and simple, but have a lot behind them. Number one, for all of us, slow down. Slow down. Cultivate patience. How do we do that? Intentionally choose positions where you have to wait. Wow, there's only, you could do this. I don't know, this is a tough one. Like, there's only one person in that line. There's five over there. I'm going to practice this. I'm going to go to the five line. You, tr- you could try that. You're gonna, I'll tell you right, right out of the gate. You're going to get stirred up. Okay, it's not even, I don't even have to make that up. You're, you want to find out what you really feel about all that? Do that, okay? Do that. When you go to the restaurant today, let everybody else in. Now, I'm not going to do any of these things, but you can try them, okay? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Choose to get in the slow lane. (laughs) Look and linger a little longer, maybe. I read about a guy practicing this, and you know what he did? He realized how much news, he wanted to consume some news, but he realized how much he was consuming just on his phone. And one of the things he decided to do, he had other things as well, but he decided to um, re- uh, subscribe to this thing called a newspaper. You ever heard of that? <laughs> because it forced him to slow down. I mean, I don't know what you want to do. I'm not giving you these things because you have to do those, but you might try some of those things, right? You might practice some of these opportunities. There was a, a gazillion of them. And then in it, ask God as you slow down to reveal your heart in the midst of hurry. Can you survive without it? Can you trust him if you're not in a hurry? There's a lot of things we're in a hurry about even here. But everything to be done very rapidly, quickly, I want it to be done now, all this kind of stuff. And what does it say about me and my relationships when I do this? So slow down. Two, find some solitude. This is the tough part for a lot of us. Think not what you're, gonna, not what you're going to do, but what you're not going to do. So I'm going to find some place some space I'm going to give God to be able to speak so that I can hear him. And, uh, and I'm going to make it where it's just me and him. 
It was Ortberg that said, solitude is the one place where we can gain freedom from the forces of society that will otherwise relentlessly mold us. Romans 12 speaks of that. The society, culture is trying to mold us all the time. Here's what you do. Here's what you're to be. Here's how you're to act. Here's what you're to look like. So this is one of those places where that starts getting broken down. It can provide a shelter from the noise and distraction like Jesus. Everyone is looking for you. Well, go find a place of solitude so you don't have to hear all that. You may still hear it in here, but that's where God wants to begin to work with you, speak to you, change you, challenge you. Jesus talks about that even when he says, listen, I do this prayer and this serving, all this stuff in secrecy. What does he say about prayer? In the Gospels, he says, go find a secret place and pray. Don't make it a performance and a show. This is where God can really speak. That's the principle behind it. Some people would say that's doing nothing and I won't get anything done. And if that's what you say, that's right probably the starting place for you. This is dumb because I'm not gonna get anything done. And we're talking about something deeper that's the soul. This is where we're being instead of doing. This is where we're listening. This is where we can address the real self with a real God Otherwise, I told you the personal relationship thing just becomes a cliche. And Henry Nowen talked about it as scaffolding. I remember reading this years ago. We're getting rid of scaffolding. It's in solitude that I get rid of my scaffolding. All the stuff we use to keep ourselves propped up to convince ourselves that we are important or okay. And so in this time, what I'm asking and proposing is God's gonna start breaking that down. We need that, all of us. I need that desperately. This is me and God and the good, bad, and ugly. He wants, let's go back to last week. If this is all of life, then God wants all of you. Good? Yes. Bad? Yep. And there's some ugliness, right? Sin's done that to us. This is where God, we come to him just as I am. If we don't do this, one of the illustrations would be, have you ever gone in a pool or the ocean or a lake or something, taken a beach ball and tried to hold it under not a person, but you try to hold it under, <laughs> try to hold it under the water. <laughs> I mean, you might want to do that in all the stuff that's coming up at this, but you just can't do it after a while and it, you let it go and it pops up. Solitude, a place, will do these things. Here is, as I was, this, I got a lot to work through on this, but there's a fear of being alone though. This is why we don't want to do it. And it's being alone with God. I think there's a being alone in ourselves, but I think some of us think that we, I mean, I know we do, we, we think if we're alone with God, he'll see the real me. And I would propose to you that's the very person he wants to see. And then if he sees the real me, he won't like the real me. This is where loneliness and abandonment comes in. But I challenge you to find a place where you can be alone and undistracted in the quiet, and then pray maybe even Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Investigate my life, oh God. Find everything about me. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine, test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. And before that, he just said how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, you could use it as a prayer in there at some point. But the last thing is to be silent. To be silent in all of this. To be with God and listen to him in your soul. What you want to do in this is be aware. The worship team can come. 
be aware and attentive to you and to God. Maybe you, maybe you stop, you find solitude, you find a place, you slow down, and you just go over, one of the, well, here's one idea that you can do, like if you want to practice it at night, um, go over your day. It's just you and God, you found a place for five minutes, and uh, you just go over your day. Acknowledge, hey, Jesus, you're present with me. Invite him in. I'm here. Here I am, Lord. Go over your day with him. The good, bad, and ugly parts of it. And then be aware and notice what comes up and pray and ask God to just reveal to you those things. And then maybe in that you acknowledge him. You wrap up with a prayer of thanks. Psalm 139, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And let me, let me tell you, why is this important? Because Jesus told us earlier in Mark, Mark 8, is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And the answer is no. The answer is no. But you have to decide that for yourself. So this first spiritual practice that we bring up um, is that. Is it well with your soul? How is your soul doing? Horatio Spafford was a successful lawyer and businessman. Um, he was in Chicago. He had a lovely wife and a family. Anna, he had uh, five kids. In um, 1871, his son died of pneumonia. Tragically lost their little child. He has four daughters left. He decides after all this loss, the business falls apart. Chicago fire burns everything down. His son has died. And he decides we're going to go on a, we're going to get, a, this is practice, we're going to get away. We're going to go find some solitude. We're going we're gonna to go on a vacation to Europe. So uh, we're going to go on a boat and we're going we're gonna to travel there. At the last minute, he has to stay for some just uh, very important business things. So he says to his, his wife and daughters, he says, you go ahead, I'll be, I'll be right behind you in a few days. I'll get on the next boat. I'll take care of this. You get there, relax, and then I'll get there. We'll, we'll enjoy it as a family. On the way there, that ocean liner that his wife and daughters were on collides with another boat, another ship. The boat sinks. 226 of the 313 passengers pass away. Four of those passengers are his daughters. His wife is found, rescued, sends when she gets to, the, you know, to, to Europe there, sends a wire and starts off with, saved alone, what shall I do? He's heartbroken. He gets right on the next boat. He goes and he uh, travels to her. And as he is going over, one of the, the, the boatsmen, you know, comes and tells him, this is the spot they're passing over where your daughters were lost. And uh, he writes these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say, 
It is well. It is well with my soul. So here's what I want you to do before we go. I wonder what your soul is like today. Have you been in too much of a hurry to hear from him? What happens? What happens when you have to face the truth of where your soul is at? If you have anything that would distract you right now, you should put it down. Set it aside. Well, you can keep the baby. That's fine. <laughs> I heard that too. <laughs> Somebody said the baby too. Like, yeah, put the baby down. Okay. <laughs> if you have your phone out, iPads out, if you're doing something else, no condemnation right now. But at this time, you know, you might get struck by lightning. But pads, journals, Bibles, just set them down for a minute. And I want to practice what we're talking about. I just want us to, we're not playing, we're not trying to set the mood yet. <laughs> um, but I where your soul is at. This is you and God now. Close your eyes probably is a good idea for some of you if you have to, not to be distracted and looking around. How's your soul? How is your soul? And we just want to give you some space. moment to think about those very things. Is it well with your soul? you stand with me? For some of you, if something has began to even be stirred, you might go, man, I was just starting to get relaxed. I was going to nod off for a minute. <laughs> it's all right. Maybe you needed real rest. Uh, but maybe that's something you dialogue with God. And uh, in a moment after we sing this song, um, we're going to take communion together. One of our rhythms of grace where we're reminded of what he's done for us, who he is, why he did it, who we are in him. But first we want to sing 
together this song. And uh, I, can, I want you to continue to ask yourself that question. How's your soul? What's, what's kind of getting stirred up in you already? If you desire today and say, man, today's my day. I need to give my life to Christ. I want to follow him. This is a birthplace, a beginning place. Then I encourage you to do that. Let us know on a card. But this may be a song that resonates with you that way. Like, my soul is yours, Lord. It's well. It's well. If it's not well today for some reason, would you share that with him as you're singing? Think about the story that a man could write that after that experience. What would that be like for you? Are you in too much of a hurry? Whatever it is, just take this time to sing and express to him, and then we'll take communion together.